Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Another episode of Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Welcome back, VM Nation. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. If you've ever been like me and been stuck in your life and you thought you had no way to go, this is going to be the episode for you. First, I want to thank our sponsor. We have a sponsor. He has a great book out. Um, it actually helps dealing with imposter syndrome. So if you know anybody that's struggling with imposter syndrome, get pick out this book. It's called Finding Your Personal Mission. Definitely check it out. Remember, my, my, my sponsors are 100% veteran, 100% of the time. But guys, if you feel stuck, this is going to be the episode for you. Make sure you have a pen and paper ready to write some stuff down. Brian, my brother, what's going on? Hey, how's it going, Richard? How you doing? I'm doing better than I deserve, brother. Better than I deserve. How about <laughs> you? I'm I'm doing good. I've been uh, this has been a good day today. I uh, I, I did a um, a YouTube post for the radically unstuck uh, YouTube channel, and um, you know I I spent a lot of time in the stress and the uh anxiety um groups on facebook you know just kind of putting my um put my stuff out there trying to help people and um so that's kind of kind of been my day awesome so bring us back we're gonna hop in the way back machine so tell us you know where you're from where you grew up and what kind of little boy was brian oh yeah I... <laughs> you know it occurs to me that a lot of your guests are like oh man but yeah, I, I got the I got the um, I, have, I have the same thing. Uh, so uh, uh, I uh, my my mom and my dad. Uh, my mom was uh, essentially a trophy wife, and uh, my dad was really an out for her because she didn't want to live in the house anymore, and so she she made a bad choice. Maybe she knew it when she when she got married. I don't know, but he was an alcoholic. And he beat her. And um, uh, when I was about, I don't know, like two or so, he threw me across the room. I remember that. Or, you know, it's like you're really old, really. I'm, I'm 53 now, so maybe I remember that. I've always thought that I remember that, you know, or I remember seeing that or whatever. And um, we moved around a couple of different places. And, and uh, I only remember actually, like, playing with my dad or actually, like, seeing my dad when I was young, maybe four or five times, he wasn't around the house much. He was a truck driver. Um, I do remember the, the first time I ever tasted alcohol, I was sitting in his lap driving down the road in, in the big rig. I was holding that big old steering wheel. So that was, that's probably a memory for I was, for I was like three or so. And um, so uh, eventually uh, mom divorced him when I was six. And then uh, we, um, we ended up at this really, you know, very um, uh, low-class apartment complex from when I was 6 to 10. And then when I was 10, Mom brought this guy home named Paul. And uh, and I knew right right when I met him, like, he was, like, this was going to turn out bad. <laughs> like, I remember, I remember thinking, like, there was just, you know, but Mom was tired of being, living in this lousy you know, house or whatever. And so she, uh, 
she decided to marry him. And on her on her wedding day, when I was 10, I was in tears, pleading with her not to marry this guy. And uh, and she did. And he mentally and physically abused me for um, the four years that she was married to him. And uh, and then uh, the only reason why that she she divorced him was my aunt had come to the house and she saw like how he treated me and, and really just treated me like like I was the one that you know was the the guy you know for whatever reason and so her and mom had like this shouting match uh in the in the um you know out, out in front of the house and she told her you know, told my she told my mom that if she didn't divorce him that she was going to try and take us me and my sister so about three weeks later we uh uh you know left left paul's house and uh and i literally was still putting myself back together again when i was like 23. so, <laughs> so that's kind of that's that's kind of the synopsis of how we got to where i was now did did you go to college or did you go to the military? Oh no, so I um so when I was um when I got out of school, uh I I barely made it out of high school. I was graduated like I don't know, like four hundred out of five hundred or so. And I, I actually they held me back. Um and um so I didn't go I didn't go to strike to college because I wasn't very good. I didn't have any good grades, you know, I like barely made it out. And so it's like, well, what's the purpose of going to college? And then about two years after graduating, you know, I, I went into college and, um, and uh, then I didn't do so well in college because <laughs> I was, you know, by that part, by that point I had started partying and smoking and drinking and, all this different stuff. And so that of course didn't, didn't lend itself to, to being in college, but, um, uh, just, I played a lot of pool. There was a pool hall, you know, in the, uh, in the college. And so I played a lot of pool and was taught how to play pool by a pool shark. And, uh, and, but when I, when I, when I was in college, I was, uh, I was majoring in psychology and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I went to school for a little bit, a couple of years. And then, um, and then one day I was, uh, I was living in this, uh, by that time I had a job, you know, and I was living in a, in a very small, an eight foot trailer, an eight foot, like, uh, like camper. Right. And, um, and, and I was like, uh, I just moved in, just moved in, quote unquote. I just moved the trailer in, you know, as so I was starting to live in this trailer park. And the trailer park's like way, way out in the middle of nowhere in Memphis, Tennessee. And um, very far away from my, my work and, and something had gone wrong with my car. And so I went and I was going to get my uh, my mail from the from the office. And they're like, well, you owe us $100 or $350 or something. I was like, $350? You know, I didn't have hardly anything. And I said, all right, I'll be back. And I walked outside that door. And I picked up the phone. I called the army. I said, I want to join the army. And they said, all right, let's get your number. We'll come right, we'll come right and get you. And I'm like, that's not soon enough. And I hung up and I called the Navy. 
I said, I need, you know, I want to be in the Navy tomorrow. And they're like, you in trouble. And I'm like, no. And so three days later, I was in the Navy. So how did you take to the Navy? Uh, well, the funny thing is, is when I, when I joined the Navy, I was uh, 20, um, I think like five or so. So I was really old to, to be joining the Navy. And, uh, and it felt like that. Um, and so joined, I was, uh, joined as a, as a sea on the seafarer program, which meant that I would join. I only had two years, a two year enlistment. And if I didn't, if I liked it or whatever, then I would, um, you know, stay. And, and I was, uh, in, in that two years, I had six months of, of boot camp, six months of being a quartermaster, six months of, of being, uh, a seaman. And six months of being a storekeeper, and then I got out after uh, after my two years, and um, it wasn't you know, like it was really a, a, a lousy ship. It was a ship that was literally made just designed to sink. It was an old converted like cruise liner, and there were nuclear weapons, uh, you know, nuclear um, you know, warheads in our hold, and so literally. If we ever got attacked, the plan was that we were going to sink to the bottom, right? It's like no watertight integrity at all. We were a powder keg waiting for somebody to light the fuse. And um, I remember thinking, you know, I want to get off, off this ship. I thought about that a lot when I was on that ship. But, um, yeah, so I, I joined uh, the Navy and was on the USS Butte for, you know, a year and a half. And... Um, then I got out. How many years did you do total? Oh, I, I did two years on the, on the Butte. And then I got out. And the crazy thing is, is that when I, when I went in the Navy the first time, I was on drugs. You know, I was like chasing girls. And I got out, went in the Navy, got clean. You know, and then came back out of the Navy and went right back to doing all my stuff, you know. And uh, so for the next eight years, you know, I was out of the Navy and just, you know, hanging out with strippers and gang dealer, you know, gangsters and gang leaders and, you know, peddling drugs. And I mean, I was. It's always amazing to me when I think back how lucky I am that I didn't actually end up either dead or, or in prison because um, I did some pretty stupid stuff in some, you know, pretty interesting places. But um, so then after uh, after eight years in, uh, 2000, in the year 2000, I went back in the Navy and uh, and then I stayed in the Navy for the next, uh, you know, right up until last year, April of last year, I retired. Now, you know, you've done done 20 years plus, um, but in this whole time, you were, not the whole time, but um, you were struggling with alcohol. You were struggling with drugs like me, same thing, um, try, trying to push, push, push away those feelings. And um, so talk to us about, you know, five or six years ago when you had an, an almost, you almost went through with a suicide attempt. Um, tell us about that. Well, so I always kind of, 
I mean, you know, considering my, my, you know, my life uh, and my, my history and my, you know, like all the different stuff, like it's, it wouldn't be surprising, you know, that I would be dealing with depression on some level. Right. And, um, but I was just, you know, really good at, you know, fighting through it and pushing through the dark places. And I mean, there were like eight, nine years, you know, where whenever we would go out to sea, you know, there would be many days when I was like, you know, really like the close, like the thought of throwing myself into the water was fairly close, you know, many days. Um, and it just became, I just got really good at pushing through it and just pushing through it and pushing through it. <clears throat> I mean, honestly, when I was younger, I did a whole lot of acid, a whole lot of acid. And I, I feel like that, you know, the, the, all those acid trips, um, kind of helped. Not that I would suggest anybody to do acid, you know, that's, that's your, you know, it's, something to be considered but i feel like that um because i would find myself on trips and not really be very comfortable like some people do acid and they're like oh they're having fun and it's cool and you know it's just this fun thing but for me it was always kind of a struggle and so i just i feel like you know it, it made my mind really tough you know be able to just like keep focused on what's real, what's real. And just, you know, but then, um, like five years ago, I, I, I made first class. Right. And up till then I was the second class and, you know, it was like not a big deal. I was a second class, you know, not, not a lot of leading going on, you know, but when you make first class, they start expecting you to, to be LPO and start working toward being a chief and, and, um, so I made first class. I was on the, uh, I was on the, the Carl Benson. And, um, so they made me a, they made me LPO and I was working for like this really hard. There, there were some hard people that I was working with in, in a really weird situation. And, and, uh, and there was this dude that I, I would go talk to. He was, he was kind of like a resilience counselor, but, uh, but for the air side, you know, if you know anything about the carriers, the air kind of has their own thing and the surface, quote unquote, you know, kind of has their thing. But um, I'm talking to this guy and and I just, you know, the the stress of being LPO and the stress of being away and all the stuff and, and the fact that I was already, you know, probably for, you know, at least the last 10 years, you know, I had been just kind of pushing through stuff. And it just got to be too much, and I was like, I don't, I don't think I can get back up again. I, you know, I'm having, I'm having a hard time getting back up, and I just broke down, and and um, so the guy kind of, you know, figured out what was going on, and so they, you know, he took me to medical, and I was in, you know, the protocol for seven months. They took me out of my division, and I got to work at the library for the next seven months. And I was in this weird place where I was in the Navy, but not exactly in the Navy. <clears throat> and I would go to the, go talk to the, you know, the psychologist and, 
so yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of how I ended up, um, you know. And I always say that that uh, that depression saved me because you know up until then, I really didn't know what I was supposed to do with my life. And when that happened, I realized that the first thing I need to do is tell people not to take depression lightly. You know, to, to share my story, tell them, you know, what happened to me, uh, that, you know, that you could beat it and manage it without uh, being on antidepressants. Um, so I wrote that, wrote the book, Crack the Depression Code, um, you know, basically just to tell people my story and, and sort of this is what I did. You know, this is how I think about the mind and, uh, you know, depression and anxiety and things like that. Now, when you got out of the military after doing over 20 years, you know, a lot of people, when they get out of the military, they really struggle. You know, they struggle with who they are. They struggle with, you know, finding a job. They find, they struggle with finances. What was your transitioning like out of the military? Well, I had already been, you know, working at this entrepreneurial thing for a, a while um, without really any direction, you know. And so when I got out of the Navy, I said, I'm going to, I'm just going to be an entrepreneur. I'm not going to try and find a job. I'm just going to, uh, you know, build this, you know, build this, um, this business radically unstuck. Uh, radically unstuck consultant. Um, I'm gonna build this thing into a you know a real a business, and so I that's what I've been doing, um, you know, since April. Okay, so now since April, okay, so now talk to us about when you when you finally you went through the um, protocol. How did you start? reimagining and rebuilding your life? What were some of the steps that you had to take? Well, the first thing is that I, I decided I was not going to be on antidepressants anymore because I was facing that. I was facing like I was, you know, that I was going to be on antidepressants, that that was, that was going to be my life. And I decided I wasn't going to do that. I was going to figure out how to beat this and manage this without drugs. Because I hated the way I felt on drugs. I hated the way I felt, you know, like dependent and powerless and uh, just, I hated it. And it didn't, and it didn't make depression go away. You know, antidepressants don't make the, make it go away. It sort of, in some cases it actually makes it more apparent that you're depressed, which is kind of weird. But, um, so when I, when I decided I wasn't going to be on antidepressants that I was not going to do that. Um, I, uh, I just, I sort of turned, turned into it. I turned into it and I started paying attention to what made it grow, you know, what, what made it better, 
um, I started paying real close attention to, you know, what thoughts I was having, what thoughts I was allowing. Um, and, uh, and really started focusing on my, my mindset and my, my habits and my rhythms. Um, and that's, that's really where it started is just sort of, you know, really looking and doing research and, and um, I, I got training at the Beck Institute for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Uh, and then I got trained as a, as a life coach with uh, the Rainier Institute. Um, and, and all of those things, like, uh, just sort of help. You know, they help. Um, the, the most important thing that I did, though, as far as all of this, was I didn't hide it. I told everybody. I just became like this depression dude on the ship. And then in my later command, when I when I you know came to to Virginia, I was just a guy. I was just like, you know, I deal with depression. I'm you know you know are you okay? I was I was just that dude. And what I found was that by helping people, and by by being really open and honest about it, uh, it made it a lot more challenging. It was a lot harder. For me to to sink you know very deep okay so now um you know obviously we're not telling people to get off their medications we're oh no 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 no, no. but I, you know <laughs> yeah, don't do that <laughs> but uh what are some of the things that we can use to start like for me i know that um exercise you know even just walking taking a brisk an hour long walk helps with my mental health um, and reading and also listening to podcasts. So what are some things that we can use to start getting back to center? Uh, so I think the, I think the first thing is that your, your why, you know, your reason, right? I always say that you need a, you need a why, a reason that is, is big enough and heavy enough that you can lash yourself to it if you need to, or, you know, big enough and, and heavy enough that you can push yourself off of it so you can get back up. Right. And, and I always encourage it to be a, a service, like a service connected why, like a, you know, like for me, it's, you know, helping people live their lives, you know, whether it's depression, anxiety, panic attacks, you know, whatever it is, it's all about like, you know, helping people, uh, you know, live their life better, enjoying their life more. And so that's the first thing, have a, you know, have a reason um, that's this bigger than just, you know, I want to live and die, essentially. And then what you said, you know, exercise. Um, I'm a big believer in meditation. Um, not because you're going to get to some kind of, uh you know, transcendental state, you know, where you're going to, you know, float off to the moon or whatever, but because meditation teaches you to sit and pay attention to the mind and pay attention to all of the, the stuff that comes, you know, because a lot of people tend to think that their thoughts are their own, that they, if they think a thought, then that's them. And that's a problem if you happen to have thoughts that you really don't like, you know, then 
Uh, so I would say, you know, meditation, just because, you know, you get to where you can be, you, you get practice at what I call watching versus being. You're watching something versus being it. Like if you're, if you're being it, then that's kind of like if you're watching a, if you're, if you're in the theater and you're watching like Spider-Man or something and you're like, you know, like you're totally absorbed in it, right? You're living it versus if you were like reporting it like you were a reporter and you just kind of step back and you've got your pen and paper and you're just writing it. You know, that's watching versus being and, and meditation, you know, allows you to, to get good at distancing yourself and not getting so uh, caught up in the, you know, in, in the, uh, in what the mind has to say minute by minute, second by second. You know, one of my, you know, one of my good friends, his name is John McCaskill. Um, he's a retired Navy SEAL commander and he, he has, he's been on the show and we've talked about meditation and mindfulness. And for now, for the first 15 minutes of every day, I get up, I go sit on my couch for 15 minutes, no phone, no TV, just quiet. And it seems like it helps me get through the day. Um, so talk to us about, because one thing I know you're big on is routine. And I found, you know, since I interview high performers, 99% of them have a morning routine and an evening routine. A lot of them call them rituals. So talk to us about having an evening and morning routine. Yeah, so... Um... So I, I am a big believer and I do this every morning, every morning I wake up, I drink a glass of water, laying in my bed, I say my thankfuls, my gratefuls, you know, like three things that I'm, I'm grateful for, you know, one thing that I'm looking forward to today. And then I get up and the first thing I do, you know, go to the bathroom, whatever. And then I drink a whole glass of water. And then uh, my choice is a banana. And then I go upstairs and I do as many minutes of plank, low plank, as I can do. And I honestly feel like that it's good to start yourself. And not. And I used to do push-ups, but then I started to do planks. And the reason why I do planks versus push-ups is because push-ups are very active. You know, and you can do like, you know, different ranges of push-ups, but plank is all about how long can you take it? Your mind says give up. Your mind says give up. How long can you keep up? Right? It's all about testing yourself, uh, you know, in pain, like just pushing it. I'm up. I can do almost five minutes of plank, low plank. And, and these days I'm, I add like all these different movements into it. So it's even harder, but I just, I feel like plank is important. And then after plank, I do Wim Hof. I do the Wim Hof breathing techniques, um, which, you know, highly recommend that. And then once I'm, once I'm done with that, then, uh, you know, I do, uh, I have this device called the menu device. It's a, uh, it's a neurofeedback, um, device that's, uh, it trains your brain and then I will, uh, and then, you know, I usually like do some writing. Um, I blog 
on uh, on medium and Quora. So um, I'll do some writing. And uh, and during the Wim Hof, I use the Wim Hof, during the, the, the periods where I'm not breathing, I use those periods as uh, almost like a, a vision. Like that's, that's where I do like my, my visioning and my, uh, you know, my, you know, imagination of like where I'm going, what am I going to do today? Like, what are my overall goals? So I'm like imagining myself and, you know, this really amazing house in Colorado with, you know, an infinity pool and all these different things, you know, these high level goals. Uh, and then by that time, it's, it's usually time for me to go downstairs and, and, um, you know, wake my boy up. And then for e evenings is, um, you know, you want to have a, you want to have an idea of what tomorrow is going to look like. So you, you know, sort of lay out what's going to happen tomorrow. Think about what's going to happen tomorrow. If there's anything like that, any kind of possible stressors or whatever. So you can kind of figure out, you know, how you're best going to respond. Um, uh, if you, if you're having like anxiety stuff, you know, like your mind won't stop then I always say like, do a, do like a, um, a thought dump, you know, where you're just, you basically just write for like a minute and a half and you just let your pen just go. And then, you know, try to get like all of your stuff out. And then once you're done, sort of tell your mind, okay, you know, um, that, that book is closed. It's time for bed. And then the most important thing is that I do every day that I've, I've been using for a minute is a sleep mask. Um, I don't really have problems sleeping, but I just find the sleep mask is, is uh, really helpful <laughs> as far as, you know, I think of it kind of like a switch when that mask comes down. It's like a switch click and it's time for bed and then i you know drift off so now how do you help clients um, create rhythms and habits within their lives you know because um i've heard that over 40 to 50 percent of everything we do every day is just habit and if we can just change just 10 percent of those things our lives are going to change dramatically so talk to us about changing rhythms and habits in our lives yeah, I think it. Um, I think it all starts with figuring out, you know, what what you want life to look like. You know, like if you start with, okay, I wanna, uh, you know, I, I wanna be fit, I wanna uh, be strong, I wanna have time to, to you know, do all the things that I I wanna do then that means that you need to have, you know, some, some rhythm through your life, some, some structure, uh, you know, you can't just, you know, move through the day, higgly piggly, you know, it's gotta be, there's gotta be some structure, you know, write down your stuff, write down your goals and, you know, write down your, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the super, um, uh, high achievers, you know, they, they write down like in, in very in large detail, you know, what their day is going to look like. And uh, for me, that's kind of challenging. So I, 
I try to, you know, just hit the highlights and I, I definitely leave a little bit more space, but, um, for me, it's, uh, it's all about really knowing why you're doing what you're doing. And if you're, you know, if, if you're, if this is your goal, you know, having habits and, uh, you know, down, down to your, down to your food, you know, make sure that your, your, your food is fits, you know, if you want to be healthy, you want to be happy, you want to be, uh, you know, energetic, then you have to look at how you're eating, you know, are you drinking enough water? That's one of the big habits. Most people don't drink near enough water. Um, so definitely drink it, you know, as much water as you can. And, um, so yeah, when I, when I work with somebody, I just kind of talk to them and, you know, figure out what the, what their overall goal is. Um, you know, what is our, um, our Island B that, you know, we talked about what's the Island B <clears throat> and then we look at their life and, and we start asking, you know, what's the thing we want to work on this week? You know, what's the, is it, is it your spiritual connection, your emotional connection? You know, obviously if you're working with me, then you're going to start exercising. You know, if you're in slowly, you know, not like we're going to do a, a marathon tomorrow or whatever, but you know, it's going to get slowly worked in, you know, exercising, you know, your physical, you know, eating good food, drinking lots of water, uh, you know, and we're going to look at like the sort of five um, areas and then just start knocking them down, you know, like getting you on a, on a good path towards living and being as the person that you actually want to be. Okay. So last two questions. Um, how do we find you? How do we find your book? And if we want to get mentored by you and uh, we want to work with you, how do we find you? Oh, yes, sir. So um, you can find my book at uh, on Amazon. It's called um, Crack the Depression Code. And um, if, if you want to be uh, mentored by me, um, I do a 15-minute a um, free um, consultation. And uh, all you have to do is you can reach out to me on, on Facebook. Uh, you know, Brian Forsyth, or you can find me at Radically Unstuck. Uh, that's my, my group, Radically Unstuck. It's pretty, pretty unusual. I don't think there's another Radically Unstuck on the, on Facebook. Um, so um, you can find me at Radically Unstuck uh, on Facebook or, or Brian Forsyth. Or my email is uh, Brian at, so it's B-R-Y-A-N at Radically Unstuck dot com and uh, you know reach out and, and I always do like a you know 15 minute you know just just kind of free free consultation just to see kind of where you are and you know see if I can I can help you and see if we want to work together okay now last question I, um, you know we live in a crazy world we still live in a COVID world we have a lot of parents that are driving Uber DoorDash just to put food in their kid's mouth. So if I ask the average person to do something in seven days, they're pretty much never going to get to it. But if I ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. 
So if somebody out there struggling with their mental health, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to get some help? Um, well, I, I guess, like I said, they can, it depends on their state of mental health, you know, how, um, you know, obviously if they're, if they're suicidal, then, um, you know, like legit suicidal and, and, uh, you know, then I would say reach out to, you know, their medical provider, their parents, their significant other, you know, like the most important thing is, you know, just like we always hear in the Navy, in the Navy anyway, is don't, don't be the one sitting on a secret, you know, um, uh, that's one of the things that I, I learned real quick about depression is, you know, it, it, it kind of wants you to be still about it, to keep it to yourself. So if you're really in an emotionally, we're about to leave. Okay. I'll see y'all a little bit. All righty. Come and give me a hug, little muffin head. Look at you, y'all dressed up in your old navy. Gonna be comfortable. Look, I got matching. I know. You looking, looking, looking solid. Uh, that's my boy. Um, yeah, gotta be, gotta, gotta do what you gotta do. So, guys, right. if you are struggling with your mental health. Definitely reach out to my brother. He's got a lot of great stuff going on. Pick out his book. It's a definite game changer. Guys, if you're also looking, struggling with imposter syndrome, check out my friend James McNeil. His book is, is out right now, and I'll put the link in the comments. Brian, brother, thank you so much for coming on. I truly appreciate you. Hey, I appreciate it, sir. It's, it's really awesome. I appreciate you, uh, you know, doing what you're doing, um, you know, sharing, sharing all this stuff and, and, um, you know, it's, it's all about, uh, you know, helping people with, uh, you know, how we can help them. And, and so uh, definitely I appreciate you being on and, and uh, keep, keep, keep doing what you're doing, my friend. All right, brother. God bless you. Have an amazing week. All right. You too, sir. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.